Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of For What It's Worth. Uh, we have so many points to go over this week. I literally have 15 points written down, but I'm not going to go over all of them. I'm just going to do the most salient few, the juiciest few. But before I go anywhere, if you haven't seen the movie Cocktail with Tom Cruise, I don't even want to talk to you. I don't even want to know you. It is clearly the most important moving picture of the modern era. And if you haven't seen it, all I will say is it is, will definitely change your life. You will quit your job, go to Jamaica, and become a bartender. 100% guaranteed. I will see you there because that's my plan. I just saw the movie again for probably the 700th time, and um, I'm booking tickets right now. First class, by the way, because I have such a positive feeling about what my life's going to be after I get there. Okay, we're going to start out this week with uh, the same thing that we always do, which is our hero of the week. I've got two. Uh, I'm a little bit late on one of these, and the other one is an ongoing hero, but bear with me. The first one is Simone Biles, the gymnast, who set the all-time medal record uh, in competition and gymnastics. And I don't really know a lot about gymnastics other than there's no possible way I could ever do it. And the vision of a balance beam just makes my palm sweat. So I'm never going to come near this sport. I've never seen this sport in person. I probably never will. But congratulations to her. That is quite an accomplishment because the medal record, as we all know, thinking back through our lives of the incredible gymnastics achievements that have happened over the past, let's say, 40 years. So to set that record is pretty remarkable. And apparently, it's not even close. It's like a beatdown. When she competes, everyone else just sits in the locker room, like s sipping ultralight beers and saying, okay, well, we're all, we're all here for second place kind of thing. So congratulations to her. The second hero of the week is uh, Bill Gates. And I know, I'm, I'll wait for you to like spew venom at me. So I'm not saying Bill Gates is perfect. I'm not saying Bill Gates is remotely perfect. But there is a new documentary series on Netflix called Something Like Deconstructing Bill's Brain. It's a three-episode series that's definitely worth watching. And first, first of all, he's historically been a very elusive character and also a very peculiar character who's gotten himself into trouble multiple times and has come across not exactly the, as the smoothest character. Lots of arrogance, lots of ego. He, did, he has created the, you know, Intel, the company that he's made, et cetera, Microsoft. So he has a... He has, in part, a uh, uh, reason to be egotistical, but the, I'm not uh, including him in the hero section because of, of anything to do with computers. I'm not. So during this documentary, you see that he does something called Think Weeks, where he just disappears. He goes to this place, uh, Hood Channel, up in, in, it's either Washington, I think it's Washington or Oregon. It's got to be Washington. Anyway, Hood Channel, I've never been there, probably never will. I probably can't get past security. But the point is, he goes and he does these think weeks where he just goes and thinks. And he is also a voracious reader. So I am a what I would consider a voracious reader. He makes me look like, you know, I'm, I've never opened a book. I've never cracked a book. It's, um, there's, a, there's a part of the film where there's someone packing a bag for him on a trip, and she puts in 14 hardcover books. And she's like, yep, we refill this every few days. You know, he's just cranking through these things. He reads 150 pages an hour. And that, to me, is astounding, and it's well worth our time, because the lesson from that is we can't do what we're doing right now all the time. We cannot be connected. We can't be online all the time. It just does not work in the long run. It changes our brains. It makes us skittish. We can't focus. We have no attention. We complain a lot. We think the world's falling apart, et cetera, et cetera. So take those two things into mind. Simone Biles, in terms of uh, athletic achievement. And also the fact that, again, and I pointed this out a few weeks ago, a lot of times the art world and the creative world looks down on sport. 
this happens all the time. I have friends who are photographers that I'll mention something about, like my beloved New Orleans Saints, and they'll be like, oh, I don't watch football. Sports are stupid, you know, and then they'll complain about something in the photo industry as if the photography industry makes any sense whatsoever. And I'm like, give me a break. You should be interested in everything. You don't need to pour your life into everything, but you should at least know how it works. So congratulations to her. And if you haven't seen the doc on Bill Gates, you should, because it's definitely worth your time. See, emails you can hear in the background are flying in, you know, people giving me accolades for this amazing, uh, this amazing podcast. Okay, maybe not. Okay, so we have to talk. The point number one was our heroes. Point number two, we have to talk a little bit about politics. It's just too good. And again, I'm going to preface this by saying I despise our political system in general. That's not a cop-out. That's the truth. I think the Democrats can't get organized. They can't find a candidate that the country can consolidate behind. And I think the Republicans are a complete train wreck who are probably some of the most hypocritical people I have ever seen in my life. And they kind of act like there's not a television camera running. So two things that have happened recently that I just find wildly entertaining, and that is watching Lindsey Graham, who has to be one of the biggest weasels I have ever seen in my life, watching him run from reporters after he's been presented with his own dialogue from prior speeches about things like uh, impeachment and lying and denying, uh, you know, basically ignoring subpoenas and all these things. So he's on camera talking about this. If you do this, that's impeachable, blah, 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 blah. And the funny thing is the reporters are like waiting for him. And he comes out of these doorways and he sees the reporters. And it is the best thing I've ever seen in my life right behind Cocktail. Right behind the movie Cocktail is Lindsay the Weasel Graham. And he literally, the other day, he did a move, which my New Orleans Saints would have been proud of. Like Alvin Kamara would have literally looked at this move and said, I got I to gotta figure out how he did that. He literally juked out reporters trying to run away and go through another door. That to me was potentially the single most hilarious uh, uh, political experience I've ever had in my life of watching that happen. Now, for those of you who don't know, I've been in the White House. I photographed President Clinton. I photographed President Bush Jr., 40, 43. I've photographed Bush Sr., 41. Uh, I've been around political things. All, oh, I photographed Al Gore. I've hung out with Tipper Gore, for that matter, believe it or not. I'm not making any of this up. So I think politics are, are super interesting. Oh, I forgot. I photographed Ross Perot. Uh, yeah, it goes on and on. And I've probably photographed a lot more people that I'm forgetting about right now. But they weren't particularly... I, could give, I couldn't care less who I was photographing. It was all about making the picture of them. That's what I was interested in. So I didn't look at photographing... George Bush and say, you know, man, your, your idea to go into Iraq or Afghanistan was kind of flawed. I just looked at it and said, how am I going to make the best possible picture here? So, um, and again, I don't know who would want to be president. It looks like a pretty messy job to me. But watching Lindsey Graham run is just absolutely astoundingly funny. So anyway, if you haven't seen that, you got to look it up. All right, so we're going to move on here from politics. Just, I mean, there's a million things we, we could go into here. Um, and I said this every week for the last... 30 weeks. We deserve everything that's happening to us because we elected these idiots. And when I say idiots, I mean all of them on both sides. It, there's just too much evidence to ignore. And I don't see anybody changing their mind. I think the Republicans are going to dig in. The Democrats are going to dig in. The situation is going to get more and more ridiculous and worse. And we're probably going to end up with knucklehead for another four years. And uh, I would not be surprised. Okay. So moving on, point number three, my new 
laptop. Oh yeah, you heard me. Okay, I'm lying. I didn't buy a new laptop. I've been thinking about buying a new laptop. But let me give you a little history here. I'm sitting in front of a 2015 MacBook Pro that is connected to like a 24-inch LG monitor that, that Blurb uh, gave me. They gave me both of these. They didn't give them to me, but they've. it's part of my job. They provide a laptop and a monitor because I'm editing and doing a lot of other things. And um, this 2015 MacBook laptop, MacBook Pro, has been a really decent computer. And it's the last Apple laptop that has ports and an SD card slot, which I use every single day. And it's been pretty good. I've only had to have it swiped, I think, twice. You know, it started, something weird happened. It does, it does do weird things, but it's been a really consistent computer for a long time. It's, again, a 2015, and we're almost 2020. So it's, it's, it's put its time in. But, you know, I'm editing motion now, and I'm using the computer in a lot of ways that I wasn't a few years ago, and this thing definitely has limitations. It gets so hot when I'm exporting video that I have to prop it up on a piece of metal, and it'll heat up the entire room that I'm in. And it's slow. You know, it's just, it's being asked to do things that it, it really, you know, necess wasn't necessarily designed for. So I've been looking around, and the port thing bothers me, and the Apple's also had a myriad of problems going on three years now with their, with their keyboards, the butterfly keyboards. And this is a well-known problem. In fact, if you buy a computer, it comes with, I think, unlimited repairs where they, you can send it in, and they keep your computer for X amount of time, and they fix it. And I've had plenty of friends who've had to go through this multiple times. My wife has a brand new laptop. The keyboard screwed up. The screen cracked, and it doesn't have any ports. And so I literally looked around, and a couple of months ago I was in Maine, and I went with my uncle to get a laptop for him. And he's, you know, he is not a computer guy. He needs a computer, he just doesn't know much about them, and he asked me as a favor, he said, would you go and help me get a computer? I said, absolutely. So we end up at the Apple store in Portland, Maine, and I go in and I said, look, he needs a MacBook. And the woman looks at me and says, we don't make those anymore, we just make the Air and the MacBook Pro. And I was like, oh God, you're kidding me, how is that possible? Oh, we'll just get a MacBook Air. And he takes one look at it, and he's like, it's too small. And there's no ports, and, you know, what am I going to do with that? It's tiny. So I said, look, you know, don't buy a Mac because you're going to end up getting stuck with the MacBook Pro, which you don't need, and that's like 3500 bucks. So he ends up having to buy this MacBook Pro, which is an overkill for what he needs. And I'm looking around the Apple store, and it's like 10,000 people huddled around the iPhones, and the rest of the store is like, you know, a bunch of people who look like they're about to do something terrible, you know. And I'm looking around, and I'm just like, these guys, Apple is falling so far behind in terms of hardware compared to what's out there. And in the back of my head, I know you guys have had this feeling. If you're an Apple person, I know you've had this feeling in the last few years, which is, I know I'm not supposed to be thinking this, but it sure seems like Apple is getting their asses kicked, and these other computers are looking a lot better. I mean, I remember someone, I went to the Adobe Max event in Los Angeles, I've been to Adobe Max three times. It's an incredible event that happens once a year. I was, I've been to San Diego, and it's been in L.A. Now it's, I think, consistently every year it's in L.A. And Adobe Max is a remarkable thing. And I, I walked in the first year I went to Adobe Max, and there's a line of people that's like literally 5,000 people in line. And I looked at it, and I'm like, well, I know I'm not supposed to be in that line. And so I'm standing there, and the security guy goes, what are you doing? And I go, I don't know, I'm a vendor. I'm here to like set up a booth or something. He goes, well, you should get in line and get your computer. And I said, well, I said, I'm a vendor. I'm sure that doesn't apply to me. He goes, go, just get one. So I'm like, I don't, okay. I go and stand in line and they give me a Microsoft Surface Pro tablet. It's either a two or a three. I think the seven just came out. So this tells you how long ago this was. It's probably five years. And I'm thinking, they're never going to give me one of these. And I walk up and the woman's like, uh, here, just hands me this thing. 
So I'm not a Microsoft person. I'm not a Windows person. I don't know the operating system. So I sit down and I'm fumbling around with it. But within, I would say, approximately 18 seconds of using this thing, I go, holy cow. This makes my iPad look like a 1982 AMC Pacer. It has a port. It has a touchscreen. It has a pen. It has a keyboard that pulls on and off. It has power. It has full desktop apps. And I'm like, oh my God, this thing is amazing. Now, I didn't know the Windows operating system, so I sold it to a friend of mine who I think used it for a long time, and he, he's one of those. He's bi. He uses Apple, and he uses Windows. So... I gave it to him, but it always, it's haunted me since then because I'm like, man, this was so much better than my, my iPad. And it was like the perfect combination of a laptop, iPad. I could just use one device, et cetera. But again, in the back of my head, I'm like, nope, I'm an Apple guy. Apple's supposed to be better. So recently I have been investigating PC laptops or Windows based laptops. And I've looked at the Lenovo uh, X1 Extreme Generation 2, which is loaded and just insanely good. You know, and I don't really care if these are super thin and super streamlined. I don't care. When something has an SD card slot, multiple USBs, USB 3s, multiple USB Cs, it has a 4K touchscreen and a pen, that to me is light years beyond anything that Apple has. Now, Apple has a beautiful design. In, in fact, their design is so good, it defaults over the actual performance of the machines, which is a well-documented situation. Now, the very, very, very latest 2019 MacBook Pros apparently have finally jumped up to the faster chips, and they finally solved potentially some of that cooling issues. They have not solved the keyboard issues, and they have not solved the port issues. So I'm looking around at these laptops, and the other one that I saw the other day, which I know, which makes me nervous just looking at it because of how much grief I'm going to get if I buy one of these, is the Asus ZenBook Pro Duo, which is the laptop that has two screens. And everyone's like, oh, you know, it's too big and heavy. You don't need that. And I'm like, well, I don't know. I can immediately see uh, uses for that second screen. Immediately. Anyone who edits video could see uses for that screen. Anyone who edits images can see uses. Anyone who's doing multitasking at the same time can see uses for that screen. And when you look at the processing power and the chips and the hardware and the price, which is at least $1,000 cheaper than an equivalent Apple computer, you're like, man, they are, they are getting their asses kicked. So in the back of my head, I'm like, I need to find a weakness in this, in, this th in this philosophy. There has to be something wrong with all of the Windows machines. And you can't say, well, it's Windows operating system, because if I'm in Adobe Premiere, it doesn't matter what operating system I'm in. It looks like Adobe Premiere. And it's not like I use 500 different programs. I use three or four, you know, Gmail, Premiere, and, um, you know, so, and something for taking selfies all day long. So anyway... I'm like, there has to be a whole theory. So I'm, I'm like scouring YouTube like an idiot, looking at people doing reviews, which is a total nightmare in a rabbit hole and something you should never do. But I did it. And trust me, don't do this. But I did it. And I'm looking and I'm watching. And, and this, this person that I'm watching, who is someone I think has, their, has a head on her shoulders, says, you know, look, I had some issues with um, the Windows machines because there seemed to be inconsistencies in the construction from unit to unit. So we ordered three of these and they all felt slightly different. The keyboard felt slightly different. And I'm like, well, that's not good. And she goes, you know, when you get an Apple, you basically know what you're getting. It's going to be put together really well. It's going to work really well. And I was like, yeah, 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 that's true. But then I started thinking back to my computer history. And before I give you this little history, I know what some of you are going to say. Oh, it's just you. It's just you. This has never happened to me because this is how Apple, Apple fans react when I say anything negative about Apple. They completely flip out and say that I'm the only person that this has ever happened to. 
So I, I'm going to go back to my iMac G5, if you remember those. Kind of boxy, white, great computers, um, had a CD slot inside. You know, they, at the time, they were revolutionary. I bought this thing, and a friend of mine in New York bought the same computer on the same day, but he was in New York. A couple months goes by, he calls me out of the blue, and he's yelling on the in the phone, and he goes, unplug it, unplug it, it's going to blow up, unplug it. I said, what are you talking about? He goes, your iMac G5, it has a faulty power supply, it's going to blow up. I just lost everything. I was like, what are you talking about? So I unplugged it. I walked into the local Mac repair stop, uh, shop, not the Apple store, but the local Mac repair. And I said, you know, uh, I walk in the door and there's a line of people and they're all holding iMac G5s. And the guy in front of me, I go, well, what happened to yours? He goes, oh, it's faulty power supply. And the woman behind me goes, hey, that's what happened to mine. And so I'm like, wait a second. It's everyone in here has an iMac G5 with a faulty power supply. So Apple apparently at the time said, no, 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 we don't know what you're talking about, which is what companies do now, you know, especially now. No one takes, takes the blame for anything. But it turns out they had a faulty power supply. So I had to leave my computer. Days go by. I get it replaced. It comes back. And after that, it worked fine. Then I was in Hawaii covering the Pipeline Masters surfing uh, tournament, which is the part of what's called the Triple Crown, which often uh, determines who the world surfing champion is. I'd been there every year for 10 years in a row. I love doing it. And I'm over there and I'm like, I need a new laptop. So I buy a black, very stylish looking, very beautiful black Mac MacBook. And I'm like, this, and people, I remember like other photographers coming in my hotel room and like, oh, look at that. Wow, that's amazing. That's amazing. And it was for about a month and a half. And then it blew up. And it turns out that that laptop came with a faulty hard drive. It was a Hitachi, I want to say Hitachi hard drive. And uh, it blew up. And apparently a lot of these had faulty hard drives. So again, I lost a, I lost some things that were on there. I didn't have quite everything backed up. But the thing blew up and I was without it. had to get it repaired. So, okay, that's two for two. Then I buy a Mac Tower, Mac Pro. It's loaded with RAM. It's loaded with four hard drives. This thing was beautiful. I got a killer deal on it. It's built, you know, it looks like a tank. It's it's just an amazing machine. And mine came with an inherent flaw that Apple couldn't fix. And they admitted it. And they, it, it, the machine works, but there was just some thing about it that occasionally it was like not quite right. And they were like, yeah, there's something about this. We, we don't know what it is. So I still have that computer. I don't use it, but I still have it. But it was never right the entire time I had it, even though I used it for at least 10 years of my photography career, where that meant basically using it every day as a processor for imaging. It still wasn't right. So Apple, you know, they're not perfect. And the machines that they're, that they're selling, even though in our heads we've convinced ourselves they're perfect, they're often not. So I get to Blurb, and Blurb gives me a laptop, and it's fine. And then the motherboard, after a few years, the motherboard fries, and they give me a new laptop. Now, the motherboard frying I'm not holding them accountable for because I'm traveling so much, and my laptops take a beating because I'm on the road all the time. So I was like, you know what? I got a couple years out of it. Now, had I paid for it, maybe I would have felt different. But they also gave me three iPads, which all broke within six months. And they stopped giving me iPads, and I stopped asking for them because they just wouldn't last. And so, again, I go back through my iPhones, my iPads, my MacBooks, my iMac G5s, my Mac Towers. These things have never been right. And when I, again, I tell people this, and people go, oh, it's not you. I mean, it's not me. It's you. You're the only person this happens to. And it's just not true. I mean, I've literally had someone say that to me and then said, but wait a minute. Didn't you have such and such happen? And they go, oh, yeah, that happened to me. So for whatever reason, Apple gets a pass on everything, and I just do not understand it, especially when you, when you understand as a company what they're doing in terms of like their taxes and, and putting you know, things on the phone that um, steal data and take your info and all that stuff. They still get a pass. For the life of me, I don't understand why. So I, the 99% chance that I buy my next computer 
probably in the next six months, and it is looking more likely that it will be a Windows machine because I just don't see anything on the Apple front that comes even close. Let me know what you think. Am I insane? And if you're one of those Apple apologists, don't even bother. Uh, that Speaking of Apple apologists, this next point. So the first point was heroes. The second point was something I can't remember. The third, oh, uh, politics. The third point was Apple and my new laptop probably going to be PC. And my fourth point, which was going to be something else, but I think I'm going to do this now, which is a quick mention of storage. This is another topic that drives me insane because people lie about their reality all the time because I think photographers don't want to look like they don't know what they're doing, right? No one does. You feel like a, you feel like an idiot, and then you realize when someone calls you out on something, you're like, God, I look like an idiot. So one of the, the white elephant in the room for digital imaging is storage, long-term storage. Where do you put your files? If you've got 150,000 raw files in Lightroom and your catalog's full and your hard drives are full, where do you store things? Now, I have been fascinated by storage for over a decade. As we speak, Photo Plus Expo is happening in New York. This is the largest photo trade show in America every year. It is a shell of what it used to be. It used to be an incredible show. And that really has nothing to do with the producers. The people who put the show on are fantastic. The industry has changed. So a lot of pros don't go anymore. And it used to be where everybody went. It was just an incredible sort of happening in New York City. And it's like the rest of the industry. It shrunk. But about 10 years ago, I went to Photo Plus Expo with the idea of trying to get a better understanding of storage. So I would go from brand to brand to brand, and I'd say, look, um, I'm a photographer. I've been a photographer. I've been digital. I was digital before any of my friends were digital, even though I wasn't in love with it. It was because I was working for Kodak at the time, and they were coming out with cameras like the DCS 520 and 560. And I was immediately running into the problem of the little Apple computer that I had had a 4X Pioneer DVD burner, and that's how people were backing up their work. But so many of those disks were getting corrupted, and I knew that was a short-term solution. And so I started asking about storage. And I was met with absolute anger, hatred, accusations, people saying, get out of the booth, we don't want to talk about this, because they had no idea what to do. They had no solution whatsoever, and they had no one working on a solution. All they were trying to do was sell the front end while ignoring the back end. So I was like, wow, this is amazing. And the phrase that was, that was repeated to me over and over and over again, believe it or not, this was from the professional photography industry, who's, which was at the time transitioning to digital in a major way. The number one message I heard was, quote, someone will figure something out, unquote. And I thought, holy shit, like this is, we're in, we're in major trouble here. So I ask people all the time about storage. Now, I know a, a handful of people worldwide who are what I would consider experts at storage. I trust them. I've read their books. I know them personally. Uh, they've tried to dumb the scenario down so an idiot like me can even figure out what they're talking about. But these, there are a handful worldwide that know. And if you knew what they were doing, which is you know, not only the RAID systems at their houses, but you know, using things like PhotoShelter for short-term access 
Amazon cold storage for long-term, Backblaze B2 for long-term, using all of these at the same time, choosing servers around the world. You've got Ireland, you've got Washington, you've got Oregon, you've got speed, prices, et cetera. You, you're paying for retrieval. You're not paying for retrieval. Even getting some of these accounts set up was too complicated for me to understand. Like they had to try to walk me through it and I still never got it and I still never set up an account. And these are the best people in the world that I know. So the other day I was mentioning something about storage and somebody wrote in, not, not here, but on YouTube, I believe. And they said, just get a Backblaze B2 account and you're done. And, and a NAS drive, an AS drive. And anytime someone says that to me, now Backblaze, I, I like, I think that's a great company and they've been around for a long time and they got a super smart plan. If you have a small amount of storage, it works perfectly. If you have a lot of storage, 40, 50, 60 terabytes, that's where it gets interesting. But when someone says buy a drive system, 90% of these people don't understand that I will fill that drive system in a really short amount of time. And the drive system is filled with hard drives, which might as well be my Toyota Tacoma. It will get a certain amount of miles and it will start to break down and it will fail and I will sell it and have to buy a new one. So you can get your fancy NAS drive, but it fills up and then what? Where do you put those drives? Uh, and people go, well, do you just put a new set of drives in? And my point is, yeah, that's right. And what do you do with the old ones? Because they're going to fail. So that stuff has to be transferred somewhere. Now think about this. I have a closet full of four X, uh, four terabyte drives. So I now have a drive system in front of me that holds 10 terabyte drives. So the goal is to transfer the two terabyte drives onto the 10 terabyte drive. So I have fewer drives, they're newer drives. And I have, you know, just fewer things to store. But the problem is, you know how long that takes? It takes weeks to do that transfer. That, and no one is paying me for that. That's just me sitting here by myself transferring data. And people are like, I've heard every excuse in the book. I've heard photographers tell me that to even think of archiving your work is egotistical. That the only thing that's important is putting your work on Facebook right now. I'm not joking. I've literally had multiple people tell me that. They've said I'm an egomaniac for even talking about uh, having an archive, or people very casually throw out, put it in the cloud. And I'm like, okay, tell me how to put 50 terabytes in the cloud and how much that's going to cost and how do I even upload it? Now, I have ways of uploading now that I've learned from this handful of friends. There are ways around that. There's a place I believe in Colorado called Mac Stadium where I can send a hard drive and all of a sudden a Mac mini appears on my desktop and it's their, their backbone connection to the internet and I can upload massive amounts of storage in a short amount of time or massive, ma massive amounts of data. But anyway, if you think this is a simple solution, if you think you have a solution, unless you're shooting onesie twosie pictures and you're shooting JPEGs and throwing, th throwing everything else away, then don't bother responding with like, hey, this is a simple thing. It's not, and it's not for anyone because I've talked to archives, I've talked to institutions, I've talked to government offices, and they don't know what they're doing. Not all of them. Some of them have a really good plan. And others are like, we have no idea what we're doing. So this to me is still the white elephant. It's probably a really good business opportunity for someone. And don't even get me started on file types. So these Fuji files I'm shooting, these Fuji raws, are they going to be readable in 10 years or 20 years? My, pff, hopefully I'll be dead. So anyway, let's move on. Something even maybe more sadistic than that point. So what did we have? Heroes. We had politics. We had, um, what else did we have? Oh, we had my potentially new laptop, which is going to be super fancy. We had storage issues. I want to talk about something else. Point number four, five, five and a half, four point five, whatever you want to call it. <sighs> While I was on YouTube, I see these films and they're always done by hipster 
hipster douchebags. I'm just going to say it. I know that's redundant. But it's the perfect desktop setup. There's two things I want to combine. EDC, everyday carry. And if you don't know what that is, just look it up. It's insane. It, it's proof that we will go off the rails in any, any way we can. Everyday carry means the things that you carry on your person every day. And, and, and people have refined it to a level that just makes absolutely no sense at all. I kind of feel like most of these guys are standing in front of the mirror at home all day long, taking everything out of their pockets and then arranging it on the, on the, their, their, uh, you know, their, in their, in their bathroom on the counter. And then they're putting them back in their pockets and then taking it out and putting them back because I don't know why anyone would do this and everything is perfect. Right. And then the same, another group of people that I want to combine are these computer people on YouTube who basically, and they get millions of, of hits, millions of views, you know, tons of subscriptions, which is, oh, the perfect desktop. You know, I have a, a monitor and a laptop and it's on this stand and this desk and I have this cable and everything is perfect. And you look at this thing and it's absolutely perfect and nothing is out of, out of place and everything is strategically measured. And you look and you go, yeah, and your work looks like that because your work sucks and it's boring and it's automated and, it's, and you've never had an original thought in your life, but your desktop looks pretty. And my point with this is life is really messy. It always has been and it always will be because we are human beings. We have relationships that sour. We make stupid mistakes. We are flawed creatures to the core. And a perfect little desktop, who cares about a perfect little desktop? Life is messy. And I don't know if you've ever seen the picture of Francis Bacon. And if you don't know who Francis Bacon is, um, look him up. If you've seen the picture of his workspace, that's kind of what life is like, right? I'm looking at my desktop, which is relatively organized. It is by, by no means perfect. I don't know what perfect is, and I don't know why I would want to attain that with my desktop. All of this stuff, these cameras, these hard drives, my audio recorder, my mouse, my journal, my iPad, my hard drive system, everything that's in front of me is here because of what I make with these tools. It's not about how the tools are arranged on my desktop. So I just don't, I don't get this. And I, I kind of feel like our industry, the photo industry has been taken over by these, these geeks who don't make work. They don't make interesting work. They don't have training. They don't know context. They don't know anything. But what they know how to do is organize a desktop and make a film about it. And it's just so bizarre to me because it has no impact on the work that you make. So if you're at home and you're contemplating how to make your desktop perfect, forget about it. Go get your camera and take a 50 millimeter and a roll of film and go out in the field and shoot that. That is in the long run going to be so much better because guess what? Your drive system is going to change. Your desk is going to change. Your laptop, your audio recorder, your phone, everything is going to change. And then you're going to be staring at your desktop and something's going to be going to be, uh, you know, two millimeters off and you're going to freak out. So forget about all that stuff and just go make the best work you can possibly make. Okay, point number five, goddamn Star Wars films. Sorry, Fleming, if, you're ever, if you ever listen to this, I've, I've got a vent about Star Wars films. Um, the other night I was watching, I think it was either the World Series or what was on, maybe it was Monday Night Football. I, I'm actually living in a house now that has a TV that is connected to a TV service. For the first time in the last 15 years, I have a television that actually gets channels outside of like the three that you would get if you stuck a wire hanger in the top of your TV. I've had Netflix for the last whatever since they've been around, but I have not had television, right? I think 99% of what I see on television 
trust me, I would watch it. Like I'm that guy that would get sucked in and watch all 182 episodes of Miami Vice, which is a great use of time, by the way. It's the best show in the history of television. But I shouldn't do that. There's other things I should be doing. So Star Wars, there's a commercial. I think it, I think it was Monday Night Football because it's on ESPN, and they break to one of the anchors at ESPN, and he makes an intro of the new trailer for the new Star Wars film. Now, I have no, no idea how many Star Wars films have come out in the last 10 years, but all I know is it's way, way too many. And every single one of them is so poorly written, it is like nails on a chalkboard. When, when Star Wars was reinvented the first time, so after the first three films, and there's a gap of like, you know, 150 years, and then someone says, holy cow, those were popular, we should remake those, and now that we have computers, let's ruin the whole thing. So when those, that, that first set of the second series of films came out, I made the fatal mistake of going to the theater to see the first one. And people within 10 minutes were laughing out loud. Literally, the entire theater was laughing at how bad the script was. And I, and I said to myself, these geeks were given computers, and they think that everybody in the world thinks that their geeky sense of humor about special effects, they think everybody has that. Instead of saying, man, you know, we could make this gritty with, with, and still get our point across and still use the technology but not forget about the script. And I swear to God, 10 seconds into this latest trailer, I wanted to drive to the production studio and just punch these guys in the neck because I'm like, you still don't get it. You're speaking to this tiny audience, which is probably relatively sizable now that I think about it, but obviously people are in love with the Star Wars franchise. But it just bugs me that so much of it is about... Uh, is about the you know the technology and the computer graphics, which are which are good for what they are, but you can't survive without a script, and they're so bad, and it's just kind of over the top. So I'm watching this. Ten seconds into the trailer, I'm like, I change changing the channel. I'm like, I can't watch this. And right before I started this podcast, I was online and I saw an advertisement for the new Terminator which is like Terminator 5, 6, 7, I don't know, same thing. There's too many of them. They suck after the first one. The second one was pretty good, but the, you know, you're like, "Jesus, how many of these do we need?" 2 seconds in, the script, the dialogue is so insultingly bad. I wanted to become a Terminator and just go after the film crew because we we don't need this anymore. It to me, these both these film series are a reflection of how uneducated we are as a population, that if this is the kind of food we're eating, and oh, by the way, Americans eat fast food an average of 20 times a month, which kind of tells you the, why the situation we're in. We like average. We like dumb. We like subpar. We like just kind of the lowest common denominator. And man, imagine, so the, the Christian Bale Terminator film, which was three or four or something like that, I don't even know, that film was skirting in the right direction. And oh, by the way, that's the film that Christian Bale went apeshit on the DP, Shane Hurlbut, I think is his name, if I remember correctly. And I don't know him, and I feel bad for him, because you know that was a horrible moment, which was recorded and available out there for all of us to hear. It's pretty, it's pretty magical. Bale goes insane on the DP. But anyway... I thought the DP did a good job in that film, and I think that that film skirted on the darkness that I think the Terminator films should have gone. Like, for example, this latest trailer, 
you see, you know, of course, I'm like, wait for it, wait for it, wait for it. Um, this is the most advanced Terminator we've ever seen. Really? So it's even a little bit more advanced than the last six films? Gee, what a surprise. What they should have done was go in the opposite direction and say the humans had made advances and had crushed all of the Terminators. But with our new technology, the old Terminator was allowed, was somehow survived. And so now our society is completely in ruin and we have primitive tools again, and now we're fighting the original batch of Terminators. That, to me, is interesting. And you could have maybe had some good acting. You could have maybe hired someone to write a really good script and turned the franchise in another direction. Yeah, you know? I mean, I should, get, I should be being paid millions of dollars for this, right? Because I'm just so, uh, so intelligent. Anyway, I can't see these films. I can't. And I love Linda Hamilton, you know? I mean, who... Who doesn't love her? The second Terminator. I was like, that's it. I'm marrying that woman. If I could find her and get past security, I'd marry her. But that was a long time ago. Okay, my final point of this rambling mess, because we're at 36 minutes and I'm on a roll. I feel like I could just keep talking here. Like I'm going to filibuster this. uh, I'm going to filibuster this podcast. The last thing I need to talk about, which is, I think is really important if you're in the photography space, and it is bewildering to me, and I, about every two weeks, someone reaches out, typically younger people, and they ask me about this. And, and I try to be polite and civil and try to give good advice, which is people who claim to lack motivation or inspiration. And I can safely say, I'm almost 51 years old, There has not been a single day in my life that I have not been motivated and inspired. And that is, goes far beyond the camera. I don't need a camera to be motivated or inspired. Um, I can look outside my window right now and look at the nature that's all around me. I can talk to people in town here who I think are much more intelligent, much more inspiring and interesting and educated and talented than I am. And I can hang out with them for five minutes and walk away and think, wow, I got to get my, my, my shit together. I got to get moving here. Uh, and with a camera in my hand, I have never once, not once in my entire life ever said to myself, I lack motivation and inspiration. And I tell you, I think I know where this comes from. And this, this is a a disease that comes from the, from the online photography world where everything is a copy of a copy of a copy. You know, someone does something, it gets views and everyone says, okay, well that got views for so-and-so I'm going to copy that and do that. And what happens is most of these people who claim lack of motivation and lack of inspiration They've never had original thoughts in their life. They've never allowed themselves to understand who they are. They've never allowed themselves the time to strip down, honestly, who they are down to the DNA level, the soul level. And by the way, when you do that, you are going to be confronted with some unsavory things about yourself. We're all shitty in some way, shape, or form. That's the truth. We're a flawed species. So there's plenty of things about myself that I look at and cringe, or I think about and cringe, or things I've done in the past that I go, oh, God, I can't believe I, I did that, you know? Um, I photographed a guy once. I think the paper did this to me on purpose, but they sent me to, you know what, for those of you out there, do you know what a perp walk is? Oy. A perp walk is, a, is when someone is arrested and they're led from the police car into the police station, right? And, and they are not happy that there's a photographer there. And in some cases, they get really ticked. In some cases, they try to attack the photographer. In other cases, they put jackets over their head or whatever. And so I was sent to a perp walk with a guy who had not been, he'd been arrested, but he hadn't been charged. And, it, and I think, if I remember correctly, he, they let him go afterwards. 
but I'm there and I'm supposed to photograph him and he sees me and I feel so bad for this guy because he looks at me and goes, oh no, you know, oh no, don't take my picture. And then in the back of my head, I see the photo editor yelling at me, you better take his picture. That's why we sent you there. So I'm snapping, I'm shooting this guy. And, and then it turns out, you know, they let him go. And I'm like, I felt horrible for days. And then I'm thinking, man, that guy could be really pissed. You know, my name's in the paper kind of thing. Anyway, there's a lot of stuff that we do, a lot of things we say, a lot of things we believe that aren't always necessarily palatable to the general audience. But holy cow, man, not having motivation and not having inspiration, that comes from lack of original thought. And I think, again, and I mentioned this at the beginning of last week's, you've got to delete Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and all of these things. You have to at least delete them off of your telephone. Because again, look at Joe Rogan's interview with, with Edward Snowden if you want to know what these companies are doing with your phone on a daily, minute-by-minute minute basis. It's terrifying. So delete, delete them off of your phone at the very least. And anytime you feel the urge, which is for the first two weeks while you're detoxing, you're going to feel this pretty much about every three minutes. You're going to feel the urge to pick that phone up. But instead of picking the phone up, pick up a book and read and just keep a book on your, your beloved, perfectly organized desktop and pick up the book and read. Even if you read for a paragraph and put it back down, it's better than picking up the stupid phone and going to these online communities. Because let's face it, the online photography community is not an educated community for the most part. They're educated about building a following. They're educated about technology. They're educated about equipment, but they're not necessarily educated about photography. Light, timing, composition, context, history, process, etc. And I'm not talking about technical process. I'm talking about the process of how and why the projects came together and how they were executed. That has nothing to do with the technical side, of which 99% of the internet is fixated on. So what happens is these people, these photographers who lack motivation and inspiration, spend their lives online looking at other people's work. They look at what's already been done. And they consequently go copy what's already been done. And then they sit there surprised that they're not motivated and inspired. And I'm like, you need to basically sell your cameras, go educate yourself and come back. Or just put your cameras in a box, go read for a year, go loaf around for a year, go sketch for a year, do something. Look at Cartier-Bresson. Cartier-Bresson doesn't shoot pictures. He didn't shoot pictures. He just started drawing. He's like, photography's kind of over, you know, whatever. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make art the rest of my life. So that's the thing. So if you find yourself lacking motivation, lacking inspiration, step one, delete all of your social media off your phone. Step two, read. Step three, get another hobby, play music, learn a language, join a group, do something to get your life more well-rounded. Because the final point I'm going to make here is nobody cares about your photography. You might, maybe your wife, your spouse, your children, maybe a handful of friends, maybe some people in an online community who you've never met might give you a like or two. But for the most part, the general population does not care about photography. They never have and they never will because they're working their asses off. They're trying to survive. They're covering their financial bases and they do not care what you do. So that's a healthy perspective. There's 800 million starving people in the world. That's another good number to keep in mind. And they don't care about your photography. So Photography is a wonderful thing. It can be inspiring. It can be life-changing. It can be very fun. But in general, it does not rank on the like uh, essential parts of our, of our lives or our culture and society. 
I will make one caveat to that. Uh, visual information is ingested and understood 20,000 times faster than the written word. So there is something about communication with imagery that's important and interesting. And obviously we're aiming that way because everything we're doing is, is revolving around uh, imagery these days. However, in general, still, you know, I mean, I did a YouTube film a few weeks ago um, that got, let's say, more than X amount of views. Um, my immediate family wouldn't care about that. They wouldn't even watch that film. Like, do I expect my brother who has three kids, he's a doctor, he's busy, does triathlons. Do I think he's going to take 10 minutes and watch a film about me using a single lens while I'm in Albania? No, he doesn't care. It's not that he doesn't care about me. He just doesn't care about the photography. I wouldn't either if I was him. So anyway, let's just keep things in perspective. And if you lack motivation and inspiration, don't look for it in the online photography world. Look for it in the actual real world with flesh and blood human beings that you can actually reach out and touch. Although be careful about that because in some cases you'll be pulling back a stump. Not everybody likes to be touched. So I appreciate you tuning in this week. I think it was a good one. I've still got 14 more points uh, to talk about things like the NATO alliance, which I know will be, you know, lively for so many of you people out there who just can't wait and learn more about the NATO alliance. And for those of you who say, what's the NATO alliance? NATO alliance. I don't know. Never heard of it. Anyway, next week, I'm going to come back and talk about delusional people and gearheads and, uh, and, uh, a bunch of other stuff. So thanks for tuning in and I will see you next week.